I want to make three, is this on? I want to make three general comments about Dr. Fernandez's case and then address specific arguments. First, his argument about the alleged absurdity of life without God is really nothing more than an appeal to emotion, and I would say irrelevant in a debate about evidence. Second, his arguments about morality, the sanctity of human life, are just versions of the same argument, and so they're not truly independent of one another. Third, Dr. I don't think Dr. Fernandez has provided us with a cumulative case for theism. In order for his case to be cumulative, each argument must independently support the God of theism and not just some supernatural being in general. But by his own admission, most of his own arguments do not show that a moral or personal God exists. I'll have more to say about this a little bit later on. Let's turn then to some of his arguments, to all of his arguments for theism. His first argument was that the beginning of the universe supports the existence of God. And I have three responses. First, naturalists who accept the Big Bang model do not believe that the universe just popped into existence out of nothing. Rather, they believe that there was no time at which the universe did not exist, and there is no place the universe came from. On naturalism, the universe just is, and that's all. Second, there is no reason to believe the universe has a cause. The kernel of truth in my opponent's argument is that anything which begins to exist in space and time must have a cause. Naturalists are willing to accept that. However, the origin of the universe is not an event in space and time. Rather, at least if the Big Bang theory is true, the origin of the universe is the very origin of space and time itself. And Dr. Fernandez has given us no reason to believe that has a cause. Third, what's the theistic alternative? That somebody could make a universe out of absolutely nothing? That a being who exists outside of time could magically cause time itself to exist? The theistic explanation is no better than the naturalistic explanation and maybe worse. As for the continuing existence of the universe, I think that Dr. Fernandez has committed the fallacy of composition. Just because parts of the universe are dependent in some sense, it doesn't follow that the universe as a whole is dependent. In fact, I, I have to confess, I just don't see what he's getting at here. Naturalists who accept the Big Bang Theory believe that the universe is only about, say, 15 billion years old, and it's not going to go on forever. It's going to run down eventually. So what's the problem? It's not like we're talking about some independently eternal object. I just, I, I, I'd like to hear more explanation from Dr. Fernandez on that point. I, I simply don't see the problem. Uh, I'm, I'm therefore going to go on to his next argument, uh, the argument to design. And I have three responses to that. First, why should we believe that either fine-tuning or the origin of life is improbable on naturalism? Consider the parameters of our universe which allow life. How does Dr. Fernandez know what their probability is? Stephen Sue, a physicist at Yale specializing in theoretical particle physics, says, quote, This stuff is nonsense. The number these people cite are pulled out of thin air. Really? We don't have the slightest idea how likely or unlikely the universe is. Or take the origin of life. The odds he gave are flawed because they assume a random process. The naturalist claims that the origin of life was the result of non-random, deterministic laws. Second, 
why should we believe that either fine-tuning or life is likely on theism? Just because God exists doesn't mean he wants to design either the first cell or a universe capable of sustaining life. And if God did decide to create a world with life, don't you think he could have done a better job? As my arguments for naturalism show, our universe leaves much to be desired. Third, Occam's razor comes into play here. Even if these things were unlikely on naturalism, and I don't think they are, that wouldn't mean we need to explain the known in terms of the unknown. Maybe there are many universes, and ours is the only universe that allows life. Maybe life began on another planet 12 billion years ago and was transported to Earth on a meteor. I don't actually believe any of these things. That's not the point. The point is that all other things held equal, the alleged fine-tuning, as well as the origin of life, are not evidence for theism and against naturalism. And number four, he, uh, he brought up the example of uh, Michael, he Michael Behe's book on irreducible complexity. Uh, I, I simply don't think there are any irreducibly complex systems. To say that a biological system is irreducibly complex assumes that if the system was missing a part, it could not have been functional in any environment for any reason. But a predecessor to that system could lack a part and yet still be functional because some part of its environment is different than the environment of its descendant. In fact, this is precisely what the naturalist claims happened. What Fernandez calls irreducibly complex systems evolved indirectly from systems that performed slightly or very different functions in our ancestors. Given how little we know about ancestors, how could Fernandez possibly show that precursors could not have performed different functions in our ancestors? Biochemistry is very young and very complicated, and I just think this is a totally premature con conclusion for him to draw. Thus, if evolution is true, we shouldn't expect to know how such systems evolved, at least not yet. His next argument for the theism was the moral law. And I just want to make two comments very briefly. First, objective morality is logically compatible with naturalism. Indeed, Richard Swinburne, arguably the most influential Christian philosopher today, says that, and I quote, if morality is objective, the naturalistic, let me say that again, the naturalistic account of it is correct, and morality is based on a set of logically necessary truths. Second, God's commands could create moral obligations if and only if there is an already existing moral obligation to obey God's commands. Thus, even if God exists, there is at least one moral obligation, the obligation to obey God, that holds independently of God, and therefore this is no evidence for theism. Turning again very briefly to his argument about the alleged absurdity of life without God, I've already shown that this is irrelevant. Uh, again, I just want to emphasize the topic of our debate is naturalism versus theism. Which way does the evidence point? We are not here to discuss naturalism versus theism, which view makes us happy. Uh, after all, just because a statement is depressing does not make it false. And therefore, I think, I, I'm sorry, I just think this is irrelevant. Uh, but, he, but he says, how can there be any, any ultimate meaning? And I think that this, uh, even though I think that this is technically irrelevant to the topic of our debate, I want to address this because I know that this is a question many people have. And I want to say that Dr. Fernandez is absolutely right that if there is no God, life would have no ultimate meaning. Ultimate meaning. But just because life has no ultimate meaning does not mean that it is meaningless. 
Even if there is no purpose of life, there can still be purpose in life. In fact, this is widely recognized even by Dr. Fernandez's counterparts in the Society of Christian Philosophers. Michael, Peter, Michael Peterson, Bruce Hasker, or William Hasker, Bruce Reichenbach, and David Basinger point out in their uh, book published by Oxford University Press, uh, uh, Rationality and Religious Belief, I think is the title of it. They say, quote, The burden of proof clearly lies with the believer. What the believer must establish is that non-believers who deny cosmic, or as I call it, ultimate meaning, but still claim to possess personal meaning, are not justified in maintaining this position. And Dr. Fernandez hasn't even come close to showing that. As, uh, as they go on to say, quote, there appears to be no widespread scientific, psychological, or physiological, or logical support for the claim that one cannot justifiably claim to have personal meaning if one denies cosmic meaning, end quote. And I think this is just apparent if you look at the lives of some of the more famous non-theists, like Bertrand Russell. Is Phil Fernandez actually going to say that Bertrand Russell had a meaningless life? I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. That seems absolutely absurd to me. I think it's quite obvious that Bertrand Russell and several other non-theists have had very meaningful lives. It may not have been ultimately meaningful in a theistic sense, but it was clearly meaningful. And in fact, that reminds me, he quoted Bertrand Russell, who uh, talked about a, a life built upon the firm foundation of unyielding despair. And I think it's important to point out the context of that quotation is not what my opponent thinks it was. Russell was talking about the, uh, was talking about the meaning of life given theistic expectations. Russell said that life is meaningless in a religious sense, but he went on to say that life is meaningful in an ethical sense. And if this sounds a little, if this is interesting or confusing or both to you, I would recommend Quentin Smith's book, Ethical and Religious Thought, where he explains this in great detail. So I, I completely disagree with the way that Bertrand Russell's been quoted in tonight's debate. His next and final point was the failure of naturalism, and uh, I understand that in an opening statement you're only supposed to give arguments for your position and you wait until your rebuttal to refute uh, the, uh, the evidence that your opponent gives, but I, I do have to say I think it was a bit premature to say the failure of naturalism when he hadn't yet addressed my arguments. Uh, but he went on to say, yeah, but uh, if naturalism is true, how could you have the laws of logic or, or, or the laws of mathematics? Uh, well, how could you not? Uh, I, I can't even comprehend what it would mean to say that the law of non-contradiction doesn't hold. Uh, that just doesn't even make sense. Uh, he says, that, well, what about the sanctity of human life? Well, here's a fundamental difference in naturalistic worldviews and, I would say, theistic worldviews. Uh, the naturalist could say that human life is special, but if he did, it would not be special in the sense that most theists, at least in my experience, say that it's special. Uh, in fact, I misplaced my notes on this point, but uh, basically the point I wanted to make is, uh, in, my experience, theists, in, in my experience, theists typically say that uh, humans are the only moral agents and the fact that other animals can experience pain has no moral significance. Whereas I, I, I don't want to speak for all naturalists, but I would say that on naturalism, uh, human life is not special in that sense. Yes, humans are the only moral agents, but other animals are capable of feeling pain, and that is morally significant. They can't be held responsible for the decisions they make, but humans as moral agents do have some sort of an obligation uh, to, to take that into account in how we treat them. Uh, as for free will, uh, I'd like to hear more explanation on that point also. I, I, 
he hasn't really given an argument uh, for theism. He just says that we can't account for free will. Look, he's got the burden of proof here. If he wants to say that free will provides evidence for theism, then he needs to explain that. Uh, take that into account, add in the eight arguments for naturalism, which I gave, that haven't been addressed, and I think it's pretty clear the evidence still supports naturalism and not theism. Thank you. Okay, I'd like to uh, state a few things. Uh, Jeff listed eight areas where uh, he believed that uh, eight lines of evidence for naturalism is what he referred to them as. Uh, he said that uh, naturalism provides the best evidence for the physical cause of minds or the physical, uh, the mind's dependency on the physical. Uh, in this present state of existence, I, I know of no theist. Uh, who would argue that the uh, immaterial mind uh, is some, in some way dependent uh, uh, upon the, the physical brain, okay? Uh, but that's, that's not the issue. The issue is, uh, is there a, an immaterial mind? So he's really not addressing that. He's, he's, he's missing the point. also like to uh, refer to the research of Habermas and Moreland, two uh, uh, Christian philosophers. Their work, Immortality, the Other Side of Death, uh, they discussed the results of recent brain research uh, done independently by several scientists who were of the naturalistic mindset. Uh, Wilder Penfield, Roger Spurry, Hans Kuhnhuber, and uh, uh, B. Leibitt. Uh, their re research seems to indicate that human decision-making process, uh, processes occur apart from the brain, though it does affect brain states. They basically learn to prod certain areas of the human brain and get people to raise their right hand and they would ask the people well what happened they thought the people were going to say I decided to raise my right hand and I did and instead the people uh, re responded you raised my right hand and so uh, it seems to at least imply that the decision making doesn't occur in the brain the decision making uh, occurs somewhere else and acts upon the brain uh, but I would agree with him that uh, the present state of the mind uh, is somewhat dependent uh, upon the brain, but that doesn't prove naturalism uh, one bit. Uh, number two, he talked about that uh, naturalism is the best explanation for the relationship between um, uh, the best explanation for the relationship between the simple and complex uh, life forms, and he mentioned the fossil record as as that being uh, the place where you would find that evidence. Well, Dr. Colin Patterson senior principal scientific officer of the paleontology department of the British Museum of Natural History in London in a letter, a personal letter to uh, uh, Dr. Sunderland dated April 10, 1979 stated this, and Patterson is one of the four, world's foremost experts on the fossil record. He is an atheistic evolutionist and he stated this, I fully agree with your comments on the lack of direct illustration of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any, any, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. Yet Gould and the American Museum people are hard to contradict when they say there are no tra transitional forms. You say that I should at least show a photo, a photo of the fossil from which each type of organism was derived. I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. Now, he continues to uh, believe his atheistic evolution, but... Here's the foremost expert on the fossil record, and he admits that the evidence is not there, whereas Jeff is claiming uh, that it is. And this idea, the lowest levels are simple, and then you get more complex as you go on, that's the rule. Well, there's probably as many exceptions to the rule 
as there are rules. And if it took millions of years for these layers to form, one wonders how these exceptions took place. One wonders about the problem of polystrate fossils, trees growing through several layers that supposedly took millions of years to form. So I don't think you're going to find the evidence for evolution uh, in the fossil record. He mentioned uh, molecular uh, biology. Uh, Michael Bay, he's worked there. Uh, and by the way, Dawkins uh, has been asked to debate uh, uh, Michael Bay and, and has turned him down, and I, I think it's a good decision. Uh, Michael Bay is a microbiologist. He's the associate, associate professor of biochemistry at Lehigh University. And he argues that the irreducible complexity of subcellular organic structure shows that they could not have evolved. He gives several examples from cilium, what he says that there's, there's a structure that some cells use to swim in, uh, blood clotting, how cells transport materials from one subcellular compartment to another, the origin of the immune system, the intricate system required by the cell to make just one of its building blocks. They, he argues, that these molecular mechanisms are comprised of many parts that interact in complex ways, and that no single part can function usefully unless all the other parts are present. And then he argues that there's no way that these systems could be produced step by step, and therefore these molecular mechanisms are designed, and he compares them with the design of spaceships and, and, and computers. Now, this is a guy coming from the evolutionist camp. He is right now a theistic evolutionist. Um, but, uh, so this is not a, your, your special creationist camp, uh, but he seems to be the expert in the field that uh, uh, secular humanists need to dialogue with if they want to make that case. Um, Jeff mentioned things like the pain and pleasure, and he focused on uh, Ebola victims, uh, unnecessary pain and suffering, and wouldn't, why does God allow Ebola victims to, uh, why doesn't he allow them to suffer less? Uh, he talks about tragedies such as uh, the, the church, youth group, the bus, and several died, and no good could come out of this, but Jeff is an, an infinitely wise being. So I don't see how he could say that no good can come out of this. God often uses tragedies to draw people to himself so they don't fall in love with this present life so they hope for a hereafter. In fact, Blaise Pascal went on to argue that the only good thing about this present life He's overemphasizing his point. But the only good thing about this present life is the hope of another life uh, after this one. But God often uses suffering to draw people uh, to himself. In fact, William Lane Craig uh, has basically uh, stated that evangelical Christianity is experiencing its most rapid and sustained growth in countries that are experiencing intense suffering. An example he gives is El Salvador, where over 80% of the population live in poverty. 1960, only 2.3% of the population were evangelicals. Now, well over 20% of the population are evangelicals. The same could be said about China, the Philippines, Ethiopia. And so it seems that God uh, uses suffering to draw people to himself so that they would not be all caught up in this present life. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God. Uh, we fell, according to Christian theism, we fell in the garden, things aren't the way they ought to be, and that the only solution to the problem of evil, and by the way, the problem of evil is just not a hypothetical problem, and I'd like to hear a, def, a definition of it from Jeff. How does the atheist define evil? Because how do you define a crooked line unless you have some concept of a straight line? What is evil unless it's the perversion of something that is ultimately good? 
Okay? So I think atheism has a problem defining evil, number one. Uh, number two, even if the atheist admits that evil is real, and if you don't, then uh, I think Christian theism is superior. Christian theism can look at the Ebola sufferer and say that is, a, that is a product of evil. That's not the way things ought to be. If the atheist can't call that evil, then I think the Christian is on higher moral ground right there to be able to say that is really evil. Uh, that's number one. But number two, if the atheist admits that evil is real, what solution do you have for it? seems to me that in the end, if Bertrand Russell is right, if atheism is right, then evil and human suffering wins. The universe dies. And I think the Apostle Paul was onto something when he said, if the dead are not raised, if there's no life after death, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Which makes me wonder why so many secular humanists come together and, and have this driving force in life to better the world. Hey, this world's going to blow up and cease to exist if you guys are right. Now, if the God of the Bible exists... And he, he said that I would say Bertrand Ruff, Russell's life was not meaningful. No, I believe it was very meaningful because I believe this life is a test. I believe that human beings are eternal beings. I believe that the things we do in this life will have eternal consequences. So I do believe that Bertrand Luff, Russell's life was meaningful. However, by Bertrand Russell's own words, I think we see that there was no ultimate meaning for his life if his views were correct. But my problem is, if there's no ultimate meaning, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it was a baseball, you make a lot of money, you feed a lot of people, you build a lot of buildings, and then eventually the whole universe dies. If there's no ultimate meaning, it seems to me, being proud of finding meaning and buying a brand new Corvette or helping somebody in need, in the end, it didn't amount to anything. So I think this is more than appeal to uh, emotion here. I think this is something very important. And I think when, when, when atheists get together and have a passion to argue against the existence of the God of the Bible, I think they're actually live, living inconsistently with their belief system, and they'd be more consistent, consistent if they just say, well, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, so I think if there's no meaning with a capital M, then you could take all the meanings with little m's and just toss them aside, because in the end... Total non-existence, that's all there is. And uh, so, uh, um, okay, uh, religious confusions. This seems to create the, the fallacy if, uh, if they all disagree, they must all be wrong. Okay? Uh, in fact, I would, I would agree with the, the 1961 Terceso versus Watkins Supreme Court decision that even secular humanism is in some sense religious. So if you want to say Christianity and the other religions all disagree, therefore they must all be false, we'll throw atheism in there too. But the fact of the matter is, just because you've got five guys who disagree on something doesn't mean they're all wrong. One of them might be right. Now I provided some real good evidence that theism is correct. He disagrees, just disagrees with me, but I think I've made uh, a really good case. Um, let, me, uh, let me just talk a little bit about my case. The origin of the universe... There's only a few options here. Either the universe is eternal. When the Big Bang model popped on the scene, that was a defeat for atheism. And I would like to see more honest atheists admit that, or agnostics admit that, um, like Robert Jastrow, who said that when scientists have scaled the highest mountains, they got there and found a band of theologians waiting for them for several centuries. Okay? I would like to see a little bit more honesty on that. When, when science showed that the universe had a beginning, that was a defeat. Not a victory, a defeat for atheism. 
So throw out the eternal universe. And then this idea that the universe popped into existence totally without a cause, he says that atheists don't hold to that. I heard it from Quentin Smith's mouth. And Quentin Smith is one of the leading atheist philosophers today. And in fact, Jeff attended that as well. Um, others would argue maybe it had a beginning, but it caused its own beginning. That's impossible. That's absurd. For something to cause its own existence, it would have to pre-exist its own existence in order to bring its own existence about. Okay? Um, yeah, the, many pantheists would argue the universe is not an illusion. I don't think we need to debate that point. I think we're both in the same camp here, the unit, that there, there is a real universe. And so I think that uh, by far the evidence points in the favor of the universe being caused to exist by an eternal, uncaused cause. Okay, once again, I'd like to uh, begin by going through Dr. Fernandez's case for theism and then turn to my case for naturalism. First, I made the point that, uh, that some, of, some of his case seems to me to be nothing more than an appeal to emotion. I, I said that uh, this, the alleged absurdity of life without God is nothing more than an appeal to emotion, and I'm going to deal with that when I get into his case. Uh, we didn't really hear, at least I didn't, I didn't hear uh, anything at all in his last speech about morality or the sanctity of human life. Uh, uh, and I actually didn't hear anything at all about uh, the, my argument that his case is not a cumulative case for theism. I, I, I just think this is obvious. I, I don't think that each of his arguments establishes the God of theism. Yeah, if they were true, they would show that some sort of supernatural being exists, but that's not the same thing as theism. And so he doesn't have a cumulative case for theism. Of course, if that's all I said, uh, it would still be possible that naturalism wasn't true either. I, I need to refute the argument, some of the arguments that he's given to be able to maintain that naturalism is true. And I want to do that right now. He says that the beginning of the universe was a victory for theism. I, I couldn't disagree with, more with that. I think this sounds like the sort of thing that John Templeton's uh, money machine has made possible. Uh, the amount of research he's pumped into uh, books and newspaper articles claiming that science has found God. Nothing's really happened new in science. Yeah, we now believe that the Big Bang Theory is true, but it's not like we have any new substantive evidence. When I believed in God, the last time I debated Dr. Fernandez, I believed in God. I was a theistic evolutionist. I believed in Big Bang cosmology then. Then I became an agnostic, and I still believe Big Bang cosmology. And now I'm an atheist and a naturalist, and I believe in the Big Bang model. Not once in all of those different stages of my life have I ever thought that the Big Bang Theory provides evidence for theism. I didn't even think that was an, when I was a theist. And he says, yeah, but uh, Quentin Smith says that if you're an atheist or a naturalist and you accept the Big Bang Theory, then you have to believe it came out of nothing. And this is simply false because I corresponded privately with Quentin Smith Quentin Smith, as well as almost every other atheist philosopher in the United States, Canada, England, and Australia, and I conducted a non-scientific poll, and I'm here to tell you that unanimously, all of the philosophers I asked uh, said that an atheist does not have to believe the universe popped into existence out of nothing if they accept the Big Bang Theory. Quentin Smith wrote to me, and I quote, I agree with Graham Oppie that William Lane Craig is just relying on slogans, especially when he uses out of nothing, nothing comes. Uh, and, Grant, and Quentin Smith in that quotation was referring to Graham Oppie, a Australian philosopher who had written, quote, I think that this is an instance of Craig's, and by extension Dr. Fernandez, reliance upon slogans. 
What atheists should want to say is that the universe has no cause. There is the universe, and that's all. There is nothing in this which conflicts with the idea that nothing comes from nothing because the universe doesn't come from anywhere. And I could produce you an entire page and a half of quotations from virtually every atheist philosopher in the English-speaking industrialized world who denies what Phil Fernandez says that they believe. Uh, he didn't address at all my point about no reason the universe uh, to, to believe the universe has a cause because the universe is the origin of space and time, and he didn't address at all the point about the difficulties in accepting a theistic interpretation of the Big Bang. Uh, he dropped the argument about the continuing existence of the universe. Uh, the design argument was, uh, unless I missed it, it was also dropped, uh, so you would flow all of those uh, counterpoints that I brought up as well. Uh, he dropped the moral argument. Uh, the next thing that he addressed was the absurdity of life without God, and he says he thinks this is very important. Outside of this room, outside of this debate, I agree with you, but that's why I addressed the point that life can have meaning even though there is no meaning of life. Again, there's a difference between ultimate meaning and personal meaning, and his response to that was, yeah, but if naturalism is true, there is no ultimate meaning. Right, I agree with that. But you never denied the fact that there's personal meaning. Uh, and he says that... Uh, uh, he says that Russell believed, and again, the point about Bertrand Russell is a uh, case in point. He says that Bertrand Russell says there's no ultimate meaning if naturalism is true. Exactly. I've been granting that from the beginning of this debate. But my point is that naturalists believe that there is personal meaning in life. And uh, he can discount that, but I think I speak for most naturalists when I say that personal meaning is more than enough to satisfy us. If Dr. Fernandez doesn't find personal meaning satisfying, that's fine, but we do find it satisfying, and he shouldn't just dismiss that. Uh, he didn't address at all the, his uh, argument about the alleged failure of naturalism in his last speech. Turning to the, my case for naturalism, he says that uh, most theists would grant this. And uh, I guess that's true. I guess my only response is they may grant it. It may even be logically compatible with theism. But the fact remains that the dependency of the mind on the brain is not what we would expect on theism prior to examining the evidence. And he never addressed that. I'm not making some sort of a deductive argument for naturalism. This is a probabilistic argument. And he never addressed that. He says Habermas and Moreland conducted a study. I'm not familiar with that study, so I don't want to comment it on this debate, but I'd be happy to look into it uh, and correspond with you privately on that matter. Uh, he talks about evolution, and he says that the fossil record contradicts evolution, and specifically Colin Patterson admits in a private letter to Luther Sunderland that there was no fossil evidence. This is completely false. I'm actually writing a rebuttal to creationist David Noble, and uh, when I walk over to my laptop before the question and answer period, I'll produce you a quotation from Colin Patterson who says he's been completely misquoted by creationists. Phil Fernandez completely dropped my point about biogeography, and as far as molecular biology, he just appeals to Behe, completely ignoring the objection I raised to Michael Behe's work. There are no irreducibly complex systems. Behe's begging the argument. Uh, pain and pleasure, he simply says that, well, God may have some reason for allowing this that we don't know about. Yeah, he may, but as I pointed out in my speech, God may also have reasons we don't know about for preventing pain and pleasure to pay the role that they do, and he didn't really address that. He said God uses tragedies like this uh, to lead people to theistic belief, 
Well, I guess I guess that's one way to look at it. I sort of think that uh, you know, if there is a God, I don't think He would need to use tragedies. And I guess we're just going to have to appeal to what each member of the audience thinks on this point. Uh, that's like saying that uh, in order to get my wife to love me, I have to beat the crap out of her. That's that. That's not at all the case. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. He completely dropped my argument about the flourishing and languishing of sentient beings. Uh, again, on the uh, argument from tragedies, he makes two other points. He says, how does the atheist define evil? Uh, point of clarification, if I'm not mistaken, I never actually used the word evil in my speech, so technically that's irrelevant. Uh, but I want to address the, the claim that uh, atheism or naturalism can't present the problem of evil. What he's missing here is that tragedies are a challenge to the inco internal coherence of a theistic worldview. Theists believe certain acts are evil. Theists believe God is good. Theists believe good persons are opposed to evil. So Dr. Fernandez needs to explain why a God who is good, in his sense of good, would allow so much apparently pointless evil in his sense of evil. If he can't explain it, then that is a problem for the internal coherence of his worldview, whether or not I have any definition of evil. Turning to uh, the argument about God's silence in the face of tragedies, he's completely dropped that in the debate, and I think that's an extremely powerful argument for naturalism. Religious confusion does not assume that if they all agree, they must be wrong. What he's missing here is that if there is a God, he hasn't clearly revealed the religious path he wants theists to take, and that's not the same thing. Uh, as for the argument from reasonable non-belief, that was just completely dropped in the debate. So once again, I think the evidence for naturalism totally outweighs what little we've heard for theism. Okay, in the limited time that I have, I'd just like to uh, address some of the concerns of, uh, and objections of Jeff. Uh, again, with the uh, religious confusion, um, I'll, I'll just add this to it. Uh, he assumes every human being is honestly seeking God or honestly open to God's existence. And uh, according to theism, this is especially Christian theism, this is not the case. He alluded to Romans 1, 18 to 22. I believe within each individual is a drive for human autonomy. We want to be our own kings. We want to sit on the throne. But there's also God's place within our heart a thirst for Him. And some of us favor the human autonomy. Some of us favor the uh, thirst for God. Uh, the scriptures teach, seek Him and you will find Him. So uh, I, I basically believe God has given us clear evidence. Uh, I just uh, believe that we are very good about lying to ourselves and only accepting uh, or interpreting the evidence the way we would like to. Um, also, uh, Jeff stated that naturalists don't believe the universe popped into existence out of nothing. And he said the universe is just there. Uh, he said the, the universe uh, doesn't come from anywhere. Well, to me, it sounds the same as saying the, uni the universe doesn't come from anywhere. It came from nowhere. And uh, so it seems to me... Uh, like we're, get, we're, just, we're just calling nothing by a different name. Um, he talked about, uh, let's see, uh, the, uh, all right, the continuing existence of the universe, okay? My argument does not commit the fallacy of composition. My argument deals, does not deal with emergent properties. And philosophers draw a distinction between emergent properties and additive properties. An emergent property would be that the whole of the elephant is more than the sum of its parts, okay? Um, my argument utilizes additive properties. If all the tiles on a floor are green, then the entire floor is green. 
if all the aspects of the universe, all the parts of the universe are dependent, then the whole universe is dependent. Now, the atheist can say, no, maybe there's a part of the universe that is independent. Okay, well, number one, that's not a scientific statement because we haven't found that part of the universe yet. And number two, uh, then this independent part of the universe would be the ground of the dependent part of the universe. In other words, the more that we look at this independent part of the universe, the more it begins to look like what the theist calls God. So I don't think, I think the argument, Aquinas' argument from uh, the contingent existence of the universe is rather strong. Uh, the design argument, I did address it. I did speak uh, about uh, Michael Behe's work. And he, he calls it Darwin's black box. Darwin made a lot of assumptions uh, about the evolution uh, on the molecular level and now we've opened up those black boxes and we've actually looked there and so now Michael B. he is saying things like that uh, incidentally scientists who believe in God or reality beyond nature are much more common than popular media stories lead one to believe there's no reason to think that the figure of 90% of the general population that believes in God is much different from scientists Ken Miller whose argument from imperfection I analyzed in the last chapter is like myself a Roman Catholic and he makes the point in public talks that belief in evolution is quite compatible with his religious beliefs. I agree with him that they are compatible. The compatibility or lack of compatibility, however, is irrelevant to the scientific question of whether Darwinian evolution of biochemical systems is true. Uh, Arno uh, Penzias uh, states that our astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with a very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Cosmologist Edward Harrison deduced, here is the cosmological proof of the existence of God, the design argument of Paley updated and refurbished. The fine-tuning of the universe provides prima facie evidence of deistic design. Take your choice, blind chance that requires multitudes of universes or design that requires only one. Many scientists, when they admit their views, incline toward the teleological or design uh, argument. And I can go on and on with quotes from uh, Alan Sandage, uh, uh, winner of, of the Crawford Prize. Uh, he stated, I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence why there is something instead of nothing. He says he doesn't believe the universe popped into existence out of nothing. That is, that is Jeff. Uh, but it seems to me that our choice basically boils down to this. You either got an all-powerful God. I can't explain how God created the universe out of nothing. But a miracle-working all-powerful God creating the universe out of nothing sounds a lot more plausible than total nothingness producing the universe out of nothing. Again, he, he denies that that's where he's coming from but he says that the universe doesn't come from anywhere, it's just there. Is he just ignoring the Big Bang model? Is he just ignoring the second law of thermodynamics? Uh, Carl Sagan believed in the oscillating model. And it was his hope that maybe someday, 1,500 years from now, science would vindicate him. Well, that means his view is not scientific. Scientific evidence went against uh, his view. Um, okay, the fine-tuning of the universe... Uh, uh, many are turning at this point to the, uh, uh, the many universes model, the world ensemble model. An infinite number of para uh, parallel universes exist. 
they don't overlap, therefore we can't confirm their existence. Well, this isn't science. This is speculation, mere speculation. Uh, astrophysicist Hugh Ross says it's a flagrant abuse of probability theory. It assumes the benefits of an infinite sample size without any evidence that the sample size exceeds one. Uh, but when you look at theories of quantum physics in an attempt to get around the Big Bang model, quantum tunneling, which pretty much tries to argue the universe popped into existence out of nothing without a cause, but then J.P. Moreland, Christian philosopher, points out that the nothing that they're talking about really isn't a nothing, it's a something. So they're, they're really denying the Big Bang model or, or choosing to ignore it, because nothing equals no space, no time, no matter, no energy, no rules of quantum physics. Uh, nothing is not an entity which has an equal amount of positive and negative properties. Nothing is nothing. And uh, so many scientists are actually saying, well, really, you know, they're redefining nothing as something. Well, it's fine. Well, where does something come from? And then, and then it doesn't address the Big Bang model, which teaches that the space-time-energy universe had a beginning. And uh, I, I, I still don't think, I still can't see how naturalism is, is an explanation at all. You're going back to Bertrand Russell's quote against uh, Frederick Copleston in their famous debate, it's just there. It's just, that's a non-explanation. It's just there. We now have evidence the universe had a beginning. We need to ask how it got there and not just say it's not there. Uh, with atheism, uh, there's uh, the eth ethical naturalism uh, position, which reduces moral values to biological or psychological properties. It's still a rejection of a true ought, universal moral values. Uh, Non-cognitist -cog views uh, of ethics Again, um, I d reject the idea that moral statements are true or false. So neither of these leading atheistic views, explanations of morality, uh, can consistently condemn the torturing of innocent babies as being universally wrong. Which speech are we in? I lost track. We are now at the five-minute closing statement okay. for both of you. Sorry about that. I got so caught up, I lost track. I want to make one point about the uh, Big Bang model and the beginning of the universe. So I'm going to paraphrase him. He says, but naturalism or atheism mystifies the beginning of the universe. It says it's just a brute fact. It offers no explanation. Whereas theism explains it. Uh, I guess what I want to say is, notice there's going to be brute facts no matter what you believe. In every metaphysical theory, there's going to be brute facts. It is impossible for a theory to explain absolutely everything, even its own basic assumptions. Even theism has a brute fact, namely why God exists instead of absolutely nothing. But what about naturalism's brute fact, that the universe exists instead of just nothing? I guess I just don't see the problem here. To paraphrase theistic philosopher George Mavrodis, if I'm saying his name correctly, what's deep in a naturalistic world is matter and energy. So if there's going to be some sort of a brute fact, what else would the brute fact be on naturalism? I don't see the problem.